Morning, church. Good morning. Turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, the first six verses. And this will be our main text, though we're going to be looking at other scriptures. This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount as Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, 1 through 28 are called. In this sermon, the Lord proclaims the principles of the kingdom of heaven. In chapter five, we have what we call the Beatitudes and the relationship to the law. In chapter six, we read about seeking the kingdom of God, and in chapter seven, the narrow path. This is a sermon from which we can glean a large number of practical lessons on how to live our lives. The content of chapters six and seven are practical instructions in righteousness for the citizens of the kingdom, forming a striking contrast to the ideas of righteousness that was current among the Pharisees and scribes. Alms, prayers, forgiveness, fasting, wealth, freedom from anxiety, rash judgments, reserve in communicating sacred knowledge, persistence in prayer, the necessity of good works, and stability of character. The particular lesson, though, or theme that we're dealing with this morning is to judge or not to judge. Understanding this topic is something that is very much needed in our society, something we need to consider carefully because it is often misunderstood. As to this particular text, it is a text that from time to time we mention in dealing with the type of judgment that is condemned and also with the type of judgment that is not condemned. In our lesson this morning, I want to look at that in greater detail. We are living in times when we're not supposed to judge anyone, especially when it comes to their moral behavior. Sadly, we know that this is not exclusive in dealing with just the worldly mindset. There are so many so-called believers in Jesus Christ that would tell you the same thing. We are not to judge others. Even among some of the Lord's church, there are those practicing things with no authority. They use this text to say, you should not judge me in my conduct or you should not judge us in what we are doing. Is that really what the Bible is teaching? What does this passage mean? What is involved here? I suspect that judging is something all of us struggle with from time to time. If we turn back just a moment to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Then Jesus gives illustrations of what he is talking about. He gives several examples of how they had dismissed what the law truly taught or what the law was demanding of them. And now let's look at our text, starting in verse 1 of chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, 
and with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck out of your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye, hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. In this message, Jesus is dealing with the subject of judging. What exactly did Jesus mean as he was talking about judgment? Jesus gives us an illustration, and then he talks about you wanting to remove the speck from your brother's eye, and there's a plank in your own eye. And he says, take care to remove the plank first before you worry about your brother's speck. So let's look at scripture and see if we can identify first what Jesus was not talking about, secondly, what Jesus was talking about, and thirdly, let's look how to judge and some of the principles to give consideration to. So in scripture, what was Jesus not talking about? From scripture, the first observation we make is that Jesus was not saying we should never question somebody or criticize somebody because of their behavior. If somebody is doing wrong, there is nothing to discourage us from pointing out their error. Jesus is not saying that we should not note when people are in error. We need to be constructively concerned about someone doing what is wrong rather than just fault finding. And I'm reminded of Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, where Paul says, But when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Paul called Peter out publicly. Paul gives an example where Peter was playing the hypocrite. Before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when those men had come, he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who were of the circumcision. Peter was being inconsistent in the way that he was dealing with brethren. And the rest of the Jews played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Paul goes on to say, I challenged him. Paul called him on the carpet, as the saying goes, and pointed out to Peter his error. We should understand when someone is in error, Jesus is not saying you should not point out that error and even go to the individual critically and challenge them on that error. In James, which we've been studying, chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, James concludes with this point. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. When somebody wanders from the truth, we need to do whatever we can to bring them back. We are making a judgment on their actions and determining that it is in error, and then we need to deal with that error. 
In Galatians 6 and 1, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. There is a time then to deal with the speck in your brother's eye. Did Jesus say you should never do that? He didn't, did he? He just said, take care of the plank in your own eye first. If somebody is in error, it needs to be challenged. Jesus is not saying that we should not question somebody on their teachings or their behavior when there is error. Furthermore, Jesus is not saying that we should not practice, and I'm putting this in quotes, church discipline. That is withdrawing from the ungodly. That is taught very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 4 through 7. But look at verse 1 first, and I'm going to paraphrase. It is reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Paul goes on to say they should be mourning the situation. You hear some people say, you can't judge me in what I do, Paul says. Verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is no good. Do you not know the little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. And now look at Romans chapter 16, verse 17. It says, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. Paul warned these brethren to note those that cause division and mark them. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. He says we are to withdraw from everyone who walks disorderly. This is practicing discipline. The world says you shouldn't judge people that way. Let God take care of it. Scripture says we have a responsibility to try to help someone who is in error to turn from it. And that may include withdrawing. In Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, Jesus teaches about a brother who has a fault. He says there, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take one or two witnesses with you, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell the church. But if he refuses to even hear the church, let him be to you as a heathen and a tax collector. How do you deal with it? 
you go to him first. And if he doesn't respond, if he doesn't repent, take two or three witnesses. If that doesn't work, you tell it to the church. If that doesn't work, you let him be to you as an unbeliever, no longer a brother in Christ. You withdraw from them. That is the standard that Jesus gives us. Having said that, Jesus did not mean we should be involving ourselves with those who are in darkness who have no desire to understand the truth. If somebody is in darkness, if they are living a life of immorality, engaged in sinful behaviors, don't play around with it. It'd be like somebody playing with a poisonous snake. Jesus is not saying you should refrain from making a judgment against somebody in that type of circumstance. We're told in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. In 2 Corinthians 6 and 14, Paul says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Paul follows this with examples. Light has no fellowship with darkness and Christ no fellowship with Belial. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. We are not to say, I cannot judge those who are practicing immorality in the world. I'm just going to hang out with them anyway. Even though they're doing things that are sinful, I'm not going to say anything to them and just act like it's no big deal. We can't do that. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3, Peter says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in licentiousness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. We don't do that anymore. We have changed. We choose our friends based on a different standard. In our text, Matthew 7, verse 6, Jesus says, Do not cast your pearls before swine. This calls for us to make a determination, a judgment. Am I casting my pearls before swine if I continue dealing with this individual? We need to determine, that is, judge, whether or not we should deal with someone. Nor does Jesus mean we should not expose false teachers or false doctrine. In Galatians chapter 1, at verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you other than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. There is only one gospel. And if someone preaches something different than the truth of God's word, you are to, to reject that person. We are not to sweep false teaching and false doctrine under the carpet. In Titus, 
chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, Paul is in the process of giving Titus instructions on appointing elders. And if you remember, among the qualities needed in an elder are maturity and integrity. Paul says, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. These people need to be challenged. They need to be identified. They need to be marked. When someone is teaching error, it needs to be identified. In 2 John verses 9 through 11, we have a very strong passage where John is warning about those not teaching the doctrine of Christ. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. John says, whoever does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. Do not fellowship with such a person. If you do, you will share in their evil deeds. We are not to support somebody that is teaching false doctrine. Incidentally, do we have to make a judgment when we identify somebody as a false teacher? Yes, we do. First John chapter four, verse one tells us to test the spirits. In Matthew seven, verse 15 and forward, Jesus warns, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. You will be able to make a judgment based on the fruit they are bearing. That is in the same sermon where Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. Well, what was Jesus talking about then? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. He is correcting some misunderstandings that people have. For example, Matthew 5, verses 43 and 44, I'll let you read that. And he is extending his followers' understanding beyond following the points of the law. An example of that would be in Matthew 5, verses 27 through 28. We have to remember that Jesus is not teaching based on a reinterpretation of the law. He is teaching based on his own authority. What Jesus teaches supersedes the old law. I suggest that here he was addressing unjust and unfounded judgments. Let's consider some scriptures. We have studied in James about prejudice, and that is one of the ways that our text applies. Somebody that looks at a person's outward appearance and they make a prejudgment without knowledge. They determine if someone is good or someone is bad based on outward appearance. In James chapter two, verses one through 10, James says we are not to judge with partiality and gives an example. James says, if you do so, you become judges with evil thoughts. 
in verses eight and nine there, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. That's the type of judgment he's talking about. Prejudice is unjust judgment. Another example is assuming the worst in others or assuming the worst in a given situation. There are those who out of hatred will assume the worst in their perceived enemy or rival. We hear of those who think a certain person can never do anything right. Everything is scrutinized and is attacked with the assumption that that person must be wrong. Jesus was constantly judged wrongly because his enemies did not want to accept him. Just consider his trial and how they accused him of casting out demons in the name of Beelzebub. Well, we see this in politics all the time, don't we? We see it in the way politicians treat each other, both sides of the aisle. So much hatred and so much animosity expressed in an ungodly attitude of judgment toward those you do not like, toward those who disagree with you. Everything that so-and-so says, it can't be right, it has to be wrong, that's the attitude. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Does that answer the question of how Jesus cast out demons? Is that an honest judgment of what Jesus was doing? Absolutely not. It was made out of hatred. It was made assuming the worst in Jesus because they did not want to assume the best. I'm sure we've all known individuals or maybe know some now who if you begin talking to them, it's almost a guarantee that they will have something negative to say. They just approach life and other people with the idea that it has to be wrong rather than being right. Instead of assuming there might be other motives behind what's being done, they assume the worst. Every little thing is nitpicked and criticized. People can't do anything right. That is unjust judging, unrighteous judging. There are some people who approach life that has, says everybody is bad. And I'm going to assume you're bad until you can prove to me that you're good. Would you think that is the approach we should take? I suggest that perhaps we should do the reverse and give a person the benefit of the doubt. James again, chapter five, verse nine, it says, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Another type of judgment that is wrong judging is passing judgment with ulterior motives, which is something Jesus dealt with all the time. There are many people who pass judgments. Some pass judgments constantly condemning and others constantly justifying. When you know someone has exposed something negative about you, you may be tempted to find fault with them or try to attack them and their character perhaps to divert attention from your error and what you're doing wrong. 
We find this in debates today dealing with who God is and whether the Bible is the word of God, and we find it in politics. People engage in what is described as ad hominem attacks, which means they attack the speaker when they cannot answer his argument. You impunge the integrity of the speaker as if it will invalidate the argument. Well, folks, let me tell you right now, in logic, it doesn't. Nevertheless, that's what people do. Isn't that exactly what the enemies of Jesus did over and over and over? Well, there is another side to this, which is created by favoritism. It is saying there is a person who can do no wrong. They may be in error, but because they're on your side or whatever, you say, well, I see nothing wrong with what they're doing. Isn't that wrongful judgment just as much as unfounded condemnation? Look at John chapter 11, verses 47 through 50, in speaking of Jesus. Then the chief priests and Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. In other words, if we leave him alone, we're in trouble. It Does it matter now if he is doing something that's right? Does it matter if he is teaching something that's worthy of consideration? No. Verse 49 and forward, one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. What a chilling statement. It's more expedient to kill him than to have to answer to the Romans. Is that righteous judgment? Something else that is sinful judging is prideful judgment. There are many people who pass judgments on others to make themselves look good. They think they're better than everyone else. I think of Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 29, where the lawyer asked Jesus, what is needed for eternal life? Jesus then asked the lawyer what the law says. The lawyer answers correctly. But if you notice in verse 29, he says, it says, but he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That is an ungodly attitude. It is prideful judgment. Another thing we need to be concerned about is being hypocritical in our judgment. In our text, Matthew 7, verse 5, we read, Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. The idea here of a hypocrite is someone who will impose a standard on you they will not follow themselves, and that is unfair judgment. Another passage where Jesus uses the word hypocrites to describe that very thing is Matthew 23, verse 4. He says, For they bind, speaking of the Pharisees, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. I suggest that this type of judgment is what Jesus is condemning. When Jesus says, Judge not, lest you be judged. We need to give consideration to every one of those qualities we've looked at. Well, how should we judge? From studying the scriptures, we see there are judgments 
we should not make, and there are judgments we should make. How are we to go about doing this judging? First of all, it ought to be righteous. Jesus tells us in John 7, 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. There is a time then for righteous judgment. We need to make sure that in whatever way we render judgment, we're doing it to the best of our ability to be right. Why do we need to judge righteously? Well, it's because we have the desire to be right with God. When you're dealing with how you judge others based on their behavior, based on their teachings, you want to be right with God, don't you? And do you want them to be right with God? That's really the attitude that we need to have in mind. We find in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, Jesus says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You bring your gift to the altar because you have a desire to be right with God. And Jesus makes the point you need to be reconciled with your brother before you offer your gift. Something else associated with righteous judgment is taking the time to investigate before we pass judgment. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, it reminds us, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Make sure that you know what is really going on before you pass judgment. Now, I suspect this next point may be a little difficult, but we need to judge with respect for the liberty of others. There are some things we may not like. We may not be comfortable with the way someone is doing something, but what they are doing may not be wrong in itself. And just because we do not like something, it doesn't mean it's wrong. This is a tricky area. And people sometimes use this principle to justify what is sinful. I am not talking about things here that are sinful, but there are areas, we call them liberties, where God doesn't care whether you do them or not. Think of Romans chapter 14. God does not care what kind of food you eat and observing of days and so on. An example is Romans 14 verse 10. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. The point being, when we consider judging, we need to respect the differences that are not contrary to God's word. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, Therefore let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. We need to make sure when we judge, that we respect the liberties of others. In addition to that, when it comes to judging others, it needs to be done with love. And folks, this is one of those things you just cannot emphasize enough. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, Paul says, Love suffers long 
and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked and thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I strongly suggest that every one of these qualities need to be in place when we start judging others. It needs to be done with love, with a proper attitude, with understanding, and it also needs to be done with mercy. James 2, verse 12, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We talked about the person with ungodly attitudes, the one that looks for faults, passes judgment without knowledge, and so on. Why not do it the other way? Why not give the benefit of the doubt and assume maybe a person had proper motives for what they were doing rather than improper motives? If somebody is teaching error until they prove differently, assume they do not mean to be teaching error and they want to be taught the truth. Go to them before passing judgment. Galatians 6 and 1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Give the benefit of the doubt that they want to do the right thing. In addition, keep in mind that we should judge others the way we want to be judged. Matthew 7 and 12, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Think about that when it comes to judging others. Remember also that our goal is to save souls. We should keep that in mind when we see the need to judge. Go to that somebody you have concern with, with the goal of saving a soul. Go with a desire for them to do that which is right, not just so you can have justification for writing them off. Hope for the best. Along that line, our judgment needs to be done with a view toward eternity. Back in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 2 again with emphasis, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In Matthew 5 and 7, we are reminded, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. In Matthew 6 and 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men your trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. On the same occasion, Jesus said, the way you forgive is the way you're going to be forgiven. The way you show mercy is the way you are going to be shown mercy. And the way you judge is the way you are going to be judged. Think about it. Are we to judge with a righteous judgment? Yes, but we need to take seriously the warning of Jesus. Judge not, lest you be judged, and understand what he is saying, and then make a proper judgment 
making the application of the text. Well, the lesson is yours this morning. If there is anyone here that is in need of the invitation, we invite you to come forward while we stand and sing our invitation song.